Welcome to Because I Said So, a podcast where we amplify youth voices and use age to better understand the world around us. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find us. It really, really helps others find this podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, everybody. We have a very, very special guest today. His name is Matthew. Matthew, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, hey, guys. Yeah. Uh, as Virginia said, my name is Matthew. Uh, I just graduated high school uh, from King Fog uh, in the same class. Um, I did the Tennessee Student Voter Act, as we're going to talk about. Um, I also captained uh, the policy debate team. Uh, and that, that was really that was really it. Yeah. And so kind of like you just said, Tennessee Student Voter Act. So kind of just jumping into that. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown of firstly what the bill was, kind of like the impetus behind it, and then we'll get into some more details about it. Yeah, absolutely. So the bill itself was meant to just make it easier for students in Tennessee to vote. So I wrote it really at the height of voter Republican voter suppression efforts related to the twenty twenty election mm-hmm. in like early summer twenty twenty. And so um I mean, you know, as you said, we'll talk about how I kind of got started with, with Heidi's office a little bit later. But, you know, once I did, that was really just what made me look towards that, you know, seeing those, you know, that problem and wanting to do something and just knowing that like Tennessee had had really bad voter participation numbers. Um, and so the bill itself would have done three things as originally introduced. It would have mandated that high schools in Tennessee provide information to students probably in like an email format, but the bill would leave it ambiguous um, about how, like just what they would need to register to vote and how to do it. Mm. And that, you know, that upon turning 18, that they could register. And then it would have made student IDs uh, a legal form of identification at the polls. And then it would have eliminated a requirement that exists in Tennessee that you have to either register to vote in person or vote in person in an election before you can vote absentee because you know, a lot of kids who are off to college before they vote in person and they don't register in person because they don't know about the requirements. So that affects like a lot of uh, kids that grow up in Tennessee and then go off to college and thus aren't able to vote in Tennessee. And so that, that, that was the emphasis for it and, and what the bill would have, have done as originally introduced. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of people, like you said, that one, aren't educated about these things. And that's part of obviously what the bill was trying to do, but also just to make it easier. And so can you talk a little bit about the development process of the bill and kind of like who helped you with it? Um, I know that you mentioned Heidi Campbell, who is a lovely, lovely person running for office right now as well. And can you talk a little bit about how you got involved in her campaign and then also kind of just, yeah, like more about how that helped you with this bill and her involvement in it as well? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, in writing the bill, I worked super closely with, with both of the bill sponsors, both uh, Representative Dixie in the House and Senator Campbell. Um, but I, I worked most closely with Senator Campbell's office and her legislative assistant, Beth Roth, who is uh, a human fog parent as well. Her, um, yeah, I'm sure you know. Yeah, yeah. Her kid graduated She's so last lovely. year. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. They're, they're so great. Um, but I, I worked very closely with them. Um, and 
Heidi Campbell's daughter also in, in developing the bill. She had a had a big part in like the initial just figuring out different ideas for, for things that could go in it. But our goal in shaping it was to come up with something that was just as inoffensive and kind of easy as an as easy of an ask as possible. <laughs> because yeah. we realized pretty early on that, you know, you weren't gonna push through meaningful um reform to how voting's done in Tennessee just kind of on a whim but yeah no uh, uh, Heidi Campbell's office gave me like the resources that I need kind of to jump off and look into what laws were currently on the books in Tennessee the resources to quickly find what sorts of laws were on the books in different states and where we differed and what sort of ways we could come up with policies that wouldn't generate like a fiscal note, like this bill doesn't have a fiscal note associated with it at right. all, which is which is really rare. And just like coming up with something that would, would actually work. Yeah. And so what kind of process did you really look at in terms of writing it? Because I think that for a lot of people that can seem like a really daunting thing. So can you talk us through a little bit of that? And then also just like a little bit um, for those who don't know of what it looks like to just move a bill through these legislative offices yeah totally so the first thing to understand in terms of writing it at least this is how it's done um in the tennessee general assembly so the way that bills get turned into like actual legal text is that um a, you know a senator or representative or someone on their team will basically just send a an email to the legal office with a bullet pointed list and then the legal office, you know, they're nonpartisan. They just work for the state Mm -hmm. Um, and they just write, like they will turn a bullet pointed list of, you know, ideas that you or I could come up with and they'll turn it into like the legal language. So is, you know, if you can just get on like the internet and research, you know, what are big differences in voting between this state and another state? I mean, everyone knows about, you know, student IDs and that they're allowed in a lot of states, but not a lot of states in the South. And I think, you know, um, some of the issues like how you had to register to vote in person or vote in person are kind of minute and you're going to need like resources to get, I, I don't have the website off the top of my head that they gave me to go on, but mm-hmm. there's a website that has basically compiled, I mean, almost like an Excel spreadsheet of you know x's and o's which states have which voting laws and which ones are are made to be more restrictive because you know a lot of the the red states in the south have laws like that's on the book laws like that on the books just because they're easy to pass they're uniform and they keep a lot of people from voting right Um, which i think is something that we also don't focus on enough i mean especially like you said when it comes to youth voters and we oftentimes i think blame a lot of young people um for not being active in politics and there's a host of issues that you know i think can keep young people from feeling like their voices matter but i think that this is a very big one in terms of just not having access to really like the infrastructure to vote no absolutely like we were very privileged, you know, to have uh, an AP Gug teacher who put a voter registration form directly in front of us, but uh, not every kid has that, and I'd be willing to bet it's a minority. And I think if 
if people just had the information in front of them about how simple registering to vote really is. Because, I mean, I don't have data to back this up or anything, but at least before I registered to vote, I assumed it was more complicated than it was. Absolutely. And I think if people knew, I just, I know there are kids out there that don't register to vote because they think it's going to be super complex. They think they're going to have to come up with all these documents and, you know, go down to some office and have to stand in a line. And that, that simply is not the case. I mean, you just get a form and mail it in or even just go to the Secretary of State's website. And you just, if you, we, if we put that information in front of kids, I think it would be so much better. Yeah, Absolutely. I cannot agree more. And so um, can you talk a little bit more about when you kind of came into play in terms of speaking and in terms of just like it moving through after it became like this legislative document as well? Because I know that that process is a lengthy one and a complex one and something that is daunting to a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So the Tennessee General Assembly doesn't run all year. Its legislative session starts in January and then ends it's about six months, but it typically ends in like late May. And so, as I mentioned, I, I wrote it and did like my internship with Senator Campbell's office last summer. And so then we just, I kind of really sat on it for like the whole first semester. And then we introduced it first in the Senate State and Local Government Committee in early March. And so in the lead up to that, I just started trying to kind of drum up support, mainly just in Hume Fog, um, but also like in the Nashville Mayor's Youth Council, um, just to have people come out and be there in the crowd, but also to speak. And I lucked out. We got, you know, uh, Katie Rush and Savannah Ray, and they, they were really, really good um, giving testimony. And they, they wrote, you know, they wrote their, their own words, obviously, and it was just phenomenal. And we kind of just aimed for, like, I termed it vague patriotism, but just, like, being positive about America and wanting to, you know, get our voice out there and vote and have a say in the political process. And in both the Senate, state, and local government and House um, elections and campaign finance subcommittee, we were allowed to testify, or we were allowed to give testimony and... I think it was very impactful. We were questioned directly by, um, yes, you know, senators and representatives in, in both cases. And that was the big difference maker, I think, because in the final committee that we were in, which was the House local government, actually the only, so the only member of House elections and campaign finance subcommittee that voted no was the chair of the House local government committee, which is the one we went to next. And so he did not allow us to testify to that committee. And then he was the one that forced the voice vote, which I know we're going to talk about later as opposed to a roll call vote. But I think, at least personally, that like, if we had been allowed to testify to the last committee, we certainly would have gotten more support for it. And I think that just getting young people in front of local politicians who don't see that kind of 
interpersonal advocacy that often, especially from young people, is really, really powerful. No, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that it was it was also really powerful and impactful, I think, as a peer to see other young people being so passionate about this. And I, I like what you were talking about, especially with the vague patriotism and all of that, because I think that oftentimes in our generation, we get caught up in our progressivism as kind of a masquerade and also like really kind of hating the nation or also like this really pessimistic yeah. view and I think that that's fair I mean we've seen so much strife and struggle and like so many things that I think could definitely beat down our hope in democracy but I also think that it's important as we move through participation in these political bodies and, and just like everything involving democracy and policy to have a sort of like you said like this vague patriotism at least like this hope in in desire to be involved because I mean at the end of the day if if we are completely disillusioned and just have kind of given up then I don't think that that's ever a very convincing argument for anyone if if we seem like we have kind of already given up on what we're saying and so I think that that's that's really really a crucial thing and I also wanted to ask like how did you prepare in terms of answering their questions because I think that that can be something that's a, a bit scary as well and what kind of questions did they ask you? Yeah, so the, the questions really were not bad because we did not get asked, like, policy questions. Right. So in, in both of the committees, we had um, either Senator Campbell or Representative Dixie, depending on, you know, if we were in a House or Senate committee, test there testifying as well. And so they were taking all the substantive questions. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I didn't do that much preparation in terms of, like, trying to memorize information or anything the questions that we did get were honestly kind of not offensive but like certainly not thoughtful like in the house elections and campaign finance sub committee that was the first one that um miss halbrook had attended and brought gov students to mm -hmm. and so we got questions about like you know were we getting extra credit for this and like you know did we write the bill in AP Gov and stuff like that? And so I thought that was kind of demeaning a little bit at least, yeah. um, especially since we had, you know, it had been relatively clear if you had been paying attention that that wasn't the case. And I mean, we got questions about like, you know, have they come down to your school to do the registration? You know, maybe they skipped your school. You know, I don't know if they haven't come down there yet or what, but we already do this. And just, you know, not not very informed or very uh, you know, difficult questioning to respond to at the least. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's also startling because you would hope in a sense that there would be some sort of empowerment and some sort of respect coming as a young yeah. person and being involved in these issues. And I think that it's really frustrating to be undermined and talked down to as if like this is just some sort of like and I, well I also think that it's like shows kind of a way that they view our generation of like this sort of I don't know like obligatory involvement it's like I don't think that there's a full realization that we are really passionate as a collective about these issues and it's like we are really fighting for them and I think that it's really it really is just startling to hear that you were kind of talked down to for being a young person yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, that, I will say that was just Republicans and not even all Republicans. Um, like, 
I remember Harold Love, he was a Democrat, but he had very, very thoughtful questions and comments on it. And there were two Republicans, one in the Senate and one in the House, that both supported the bill. And I had very thoughtful conversations with Bill. I cannot remember their name. So there are at least uh, a couple Republicans that, that took the bill seriously and had thoughtful, constructive conversations about it. But, but certainly all of those demeaning and frankly, you know, not thought out at all, probably, and, you know, coming from people who weren't paying attention questions were, were from Republicans. Right. And I mean, did you notice a pattern in some of like the retorts that were offered to any of this or like, were there any comments? Oh my God, they were so crazy. Man. <laughs> um, so Brian Kelsey, who is the representative or no, sorry, the Senator for Germantown had one argument in the Senate committee that was like, what if like non-citizens get the email about registering to vote that go to our high schools and then you know they try to register to vote you know this is going to let the illegals vote basically oh my god <laughs> I mean, it was just it was absolutely <laughs> i mean i put a line in in my testimony for the next committee that was like you know i don't know about brian kelsey but i think that our election officials would not simply allow non-citizens to register to vote but i don't know about him oh. and you know, all the other arguments were basically just about, you know, would this somehow prevent current registration efforts or are we already doing this? And there was one argument, I guess the only other really substantive one I heard was like the section of the law that we would write it into had a misdemeanor penalty applied if you, you know, broke the law. And so it was like, you know, are you going to convict some, you know, like school counselor or administrator of a misdemeanor if they forget to send this out? And it's just like, well, you know, clearly no prosecutor would ever pick that case up, right? right. Like, it's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But th- those were really the only retorts that we got that, that were that stood out to me and were, you know, of some substance if they were true. Right. Well, it's. I mean, like you said, that is so just shocking that somebody would even say that it's just so clearly just wanting to say something and wanting to get like your name out there (laughs) but it's like I think that that's really really I think it's one of those things that makes you really question like hmm I think that there are a lot of other people who are just working like other random jobs not even involved in this that could maybe be doing a better job sometimes than Current. <laughs> well, I mean, I think about even even like the teachers that helped so much with the involvement in this whole process. I mean, I think that it's it's startling that those people are often, um, I mean, especially in this case, more educated about those issues. Um, and I mean, like you said, I think that it's while some valid things were raised, I think that it's there's also like the point of there are so many other laws on the books that are more questionable and that could be more scrutinized than something like this that was, like you said, made to be so non-offensive and so agreeable in so many ways. And kind of moving on, I mean, into the portion where you guys were not only not allowed to testify, but it was just so vagrantly one person having so much power over this whole process can you talk about kind of what happened in that case and um I know that Phil Williams we'll kind of get into this in a minute but he did a piece about um 
these audible yays and nays and how this caused some distortion in the process. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, obviously normally they would do a roll call vote where they would call out the names of everyone on the committee and they would just say yay or nay and then the votes would be tallied. But uh, we had Representative Dixie request a roll call vote um, at the proper time, obviously, and it was denied by John Crawford. Let's make that clear, was was the chairman of the committee. He's the representative for, like, (laughs) Bristol and that, like, the very northeast corner of Tennessee. And so, as I said, he was the only member of the House Campaign Finance and Elections Subcommittee that voted against the bill. Every single other Republican on the committee voted for it. Um. And then he prevented us from testifying, uh, like the day before we were supposed to, he, you know, informed us that we weren't going to be able to, like, I was, you know, already writing what I was going to say, um, Mm. when it came, when it came that we weren't going to be able to just to, you know, make a point about the timing. And so, yeah, you know, Representative Dixie requested a roll call vote. It was denied. And then. The House Local Government Committee, which was uh, the committee that eventually killed the bill, if I haven't said that, that voted no, um, deliberated for much longer than any of the other committees, I think, probably because we weren't allowed to testify and that that made it, you know, where the the Republicans and Democrats on the committee kind of just split up and argue. Um, But it, it went around a lot about, you know, what kind of programs could this disrupt and what are we doing now and aren't we already doing this? And, you know, the objections I had already talked about. And then when it got to the end, uh, they did the voice vote. And it wasn't egregious. It certainly wasn't clear to me which side had won. Um, and then if it had been uh, clearly that our side had won, you know, I, I, I'm sure I would have made a point about it and everyone else would have and we would have appealed it or something. I don't, I don't really know what the appeal process is, but... Certainly, that's to say it wasn't like clearly that there were more votes for us than there were against the bill, but it wasn't clear either way. It seemed like they were even to me, Um, but then Representative Crawford just called that the nays had it and moved on, and we let it go, and I think it's just, you know, him, he, he obviously gets the metagame here, right? He understands how to use his power as the chairman of the the House Local Government Committee to get the bills he wants through and get the ones he doesn't want killed there. And he did it effectively. And as I said, I don't think it was egregiously bad. I think it was roughly even. And certainly there were more Republicans on the committee than there were Democrats. So it would make sense that the bill was killed there. But yeah, I, I certainly wish there had been, a, had been a roll call vote and that would have allowed for much more accurate results. Right. No, I mean, I, I agree. And I think that it, it is really startling. Um, I know I've used that word multiple times, but it's just because it's the first word that comes to mind. Like, I am very much just kind of in shock at some of the things that have gone on in this process that I think that, like you were saying, I think that strategy was more important here than policy. And I think that we see that a lot of times, I mean, especially in a local government stage where things aren't as heavily monitored by people as they are on a national stage. And I think that it's something that I wish that, I mean, I myself, but also that I just wish in general that we paid more attention to. Because um, like you said, while it wasn't this 
completely clear thing. It it was still arguably a misuse of power um, to kind of negotiate something towards one side, and I think that that's a really... And I mean, even, even besides just the voting, the dehumanization of a bill that was written by so many young people in part um, by yeah, not allowing absolutely. you all to testify, I think is, is a really harmful thing, and I think must be really disheartening as well. Oh, unquestionably. And, yeah, as I said, you know, there, there was certainly an argument that, that they had the votes, but as you said, it definitely just muddied the waters, and there was no reason not to... Um, you know, not to just do a roll call vote. Like, the bill didn't have the votes it needed in the Senate anyway and was going to be rolled. And so just to kind of shut it down there and do a voice vote and just rule the way you want to rule, it's just kind of like a, a naked exercise of your own power just for the sake of it, right? Like, I, I don't think the bill would have passed the House and the Senate and then been signed by Bill Lee if it hadn't been shut down in the House Local Government Committee. So... I, I really think it's just kind of, you know, that that representative exercising the power over us that he could, because I think especially coming from with the context of him being the only no vote in the House local uh, House Elections and Campaign Finance Subcommittee, and I keep saying that like it was it was an emphatic no vote, and like everyone else on the committee breezed through it, and he had like two or three very out there objections and then you know in the roll call when it got to him he was like no and you know kind of went back in his chair and so i think he at some level i would i mean it's total speculation but i I think he kind of personally just wanted to shut it down yeah no i mean i i think that that's if it's speculation it's a very reasonable speculation and so kind of moving forward from here um what do you kind of hope either happens in terms of like this specific issue um or in terms of like what you hope to do moving forward with being involved in legislation and policy yeah no well so uh katie rush is is planning on giving it another go next year we're going to make the language more specific Mm -hmm. we're gonna specify that like the, the secretary of state's office is gonna write out a sample email and then school administrators are just going to add, you know, dear students and put, you know, their name in high school on it. And we're going to specify that it's going to come out in an email format. And we're going to go ahead and drop the other two provisions. We're going to streamline it. Um, at least towards the end of this bill, we had a deal with uh, coordinator of elections, Mark Goings, to support the bill. Um, and we were working on seemed possible that Trey Hargett, Secretary of State, might support the bill. Who knows, you know, what he'll be up to the time bill comes around next year after he got a little too lit at Bonnaroo. <laughs> but, um, you know, Katie Rush is, is going to give it another shot, uh, obviously, with, with Representative Dixie and Senator Campbell. Well, hopefully there won't be a Senator Campbell. Right, yes. But, you know, someone else, but yeah, that, that's the next step for that. And so hopefully that'll will go better next year with more of a, a streamlined bill that can knock down more of the arguments against it. And hopefully some 
you know, more bipartisan support right off the bat because we we were able to get a, a couple of Republican co-sponsors through the course of testimony and stuff this time around. But we're hoping that next time we could, you know, go back to them and go ahead and get uh, bipartisanship off the bat. Right. Absolutely. I mean, as we've learned throughout so many media coverage stories, bipartisanship does not always fix everything, but it can definitely, definitely help, especially in local politics yeah. where I think people often times don't pay as much attention um to what their officials are doing and i think that if if they can kind of um find a way to get support and not have to worry as much about these like really really strict polarized party lines and really come together and find this bipartisanship i think that can be really really helpful and um i kind of wanted to know what you feel like were the biggest things that helped you and hurt you along this process? I think the biggest thing we had going for us was just that we were students and young people mm-hmm. and that we had a really passionate, active group that wanted to get in front of legislators and have really, you know, thoughtful, um, high-level conversations with them about policy and politics and getting involved in civic life. And... I think that you, um, I guess I, I haven't said this yet, but uh, Jeff Yarbrough, who's the who's a state senator, he's the leader of the Senate Democratic Caucus for the Tennessee you know, the Senate Democrats, but he proposed just the high school uh, requirement, you know, mandates that they have to inform students part uh, last year, and it failed. Um, and Brian Kelsey had gotten up and made the killer argument to it which was like a burden on teachers argument of like oh they have all this stuff and now you're going to make them uh inform kids about voting which is kind of crazy right (laughs) it's uh, like that's a little yeah bill that they came out with you know tripling librarians workload but whatever (laughs) uh i totally forgot where i was going with that i'm so sorry oh no you're good just (laughs) kind of the question of like what do you think are the things that helped you most and the things that hurt you most along this process oh yeah, yeah yeah and so just just being ready uh for stuff like that with the previous experience that they had, but just being young people and being able to get in front of the legislators and really have thoughtful conversations with them. I could tell they were really swayed by our testimony. And I think another thing that was really valuable that you were talking about earlier with local politics is just that people on a local level, I think, tend to be more open-minded on certain issues than others and are just Mm -hmm. more gettable in different places yeah like one of or the first republican co-sponsor we got and one of the people that i had the most positive conversations with who was a republican like two weeks later was the one that was trying to ban delta (laughs) eight like really strongly and i was like this is my boy like what what is he up to right (laughs) i I, I guess he i guess he was just you know on on one issue good and on another issue bad but on the local level you can connect with these people on certain issues like this like Paige wally um signed on as a co-sponsor to the bill really really late in the process and he is a super conservative hardline uh, Republican Tennessee. Uh, I don't. I don't know if he's a representative or a senator, but I just remember Smithfield telling me how hardline he was. So I think if you you can just you can connect with people on the local level more if you go in and really spend time 
face to face with them. And I think that was, was the biggest, um, thing that we had going for us. The biggest challenge that we ran into, I think was just the content of the bill. Right. Mm. And just that like Republicans do not want more people to vote. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that, that that's really it. Mm. And is there anything that you wish that you knew before going into this process that either you know now or that you kind of just, yeah, I guess wish that you had known then? I think really just kind of how accessible the whole thing is. Like once I got in contact with um, Senator Campbell and her team, which I guess I, I never explained that, and I'll give a big shout out here that, I haven't talked about really, which is Miss Smithfield. Like, I got in contact with them through a Huey Fog Young Democrat Zoom in like April, May, twenty twenty one, like when it was still online school. And they just said at the end of the meeting, like, you know, send us an email if you want to get involved further. And I did, and you know, and I went down to their office, and you know that that's where all of this started. And so, and so, like, once I got in, once I got talking to them. And once I got started on all of it, just the amount of resources and information they were able to give me and that, you know, you didn't have to know where to go in like the law book to find, you know, which section of the law to edit and that you could just come up with a bullet pointed list of ideas and getting connections to databases about state policy and just different facts and figures on Tennessee voting and, and where it could be improved. Once I got working with them and really got into it, just how accessible the whole process was and that if you're willing to put some time into it and just kind of put yourself in front of local politicians who probably don't have a lot of people putting themselves in front of them, that you can do it and that it's you know more accessible than you think. Right, absolutely. and. One interesting question that I had for you is I wanted to ask if you consider yourself to be an activist, because I know that that is a term that we kind of use a lot, but I don't think that we often kind of like really analyze. And so I wanted to ask you in the way that you view yourself, like, is that the term that you would kind of use for yourself? And I know that you are very humble about all of this, or is there like a term that you feel like better describes what you've done? I mean, I don't even really know. I mean, the term activist, as I understand it, in pop culture just kind of means, like, anyone who advocates for political change. But it, it has a ne kind of a necessary connotation towards the left. Because, you know, I wouldn't, like, w would you describe, like, you know, counter-protesters at Pride activists? Right, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, like, I mean, I guess, like, I would consider myself an activist by the way it's uh, the way it's generally termed like you know people who want to push society towards being better or changing in meaningful ways yeah. um so yeah i mean i don't really i don't really have like a, a super interesting answer i guess i would and i just think that like if people need to keep doing whatever is in their wheelhouse and what they're what best what their skill set best fits to make the world a better place right no absolutely and I, I think that oftentimes like part of the reason that I wanted to ask you that is because I think that well this is definitely a huge accomplishment I think that sometimes we think that we have to somehow like 
I don't even know, like move mountains to have any sort of like involvement in calling oneself like an activist or really yeah. being involved in activism. But I think that there are so many things that you can do that can really involve yourself in activism and really, you know, be able to label yourself as an activist. And kind of wrapping up, I just wanted to know if there's anything, um, any words of advice that you would give to young people who are looking to make change and get involved and just learn more about this process. I think I would just tell them to put themselves out there um, and just, you know, don't be afraid to, when you get an opportunity, get in contact with people, put yourselves in front of them and, you know, just kind of try to take whatever they give you and run with it and just come up with something and put it on paper and and start going. I think that's really what, you know, the best thing you can do if if you want to do something like this is. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that this and watching you guys do this has been really, really inspiring for me and a lot of other young people. And I also want to say just thank you so much for being on the podcast today as well. No, I appreciate that so much. Thank you.